Hey everybody, good morning. Welcome to Regeneration, where we are super excited about interrupting people's lives with the love and kindness of Jesus. I'm super glad that you're here. We have a few announcements. The first one is that circles will be starting up again this week, unless you are in student circle, and then pretend like it's next week, and I said that, meaning we will be starting next week. So, uh, otherwise, the... Better Together Couples Conference is coming up. It's going to be on February 23rd. Mark your calendars. Stay tuned. Um, and our check-ins. So if you go on Facebook and you check in to Regen Gives, you have to use that hashtag. All of the donations that that generates for this month are going to our very own Candace Cooper, who is uh, preparing to depart for Thailand as a missionary. So that is all of the announcements that I have. And Jairus is going to come and lead us in prayer as we collect offering. Hi. Um, if you haven't been here before, uh, we're going to pray over the offering and we'll pass these buckets and just pass it back. So, God, thank you so much for who you are and, and making everyone here, making them with uh, the gifts. Um, that you've placed in them, and uh, we just thank you for that. Thank you for the income that we have um, that we have coming in, and and because uh, that's what income does. <laughs> but uh, help us this year to be more generous than last year, because because you want us to uh, to be generous and 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 give sacrificially and, and generously. So may we do that today. Um, thank you so much, in Jesus' name, Amen. Hello. I am on. Hello. Okay. Hi, guys. All right. If you don't know me, my name is Vanessa. If you do know me, Stephanie did not have her baby. Uh, <laughs> she's right back there. Uh, about a month ago, Kyle had asked me that whenever Stephanie went into labor, if I could go ahead. Oh, yeah. Kids can go if you want your children to go. Sorry. Kids can go. Um, yeah, Kyle had asked me if I could, if I would be on call. And so I was like, yeah, I could be on call. Well, I didn't anticipate the phone call yesterday. He calls me. I'm like, hello. And, uh, he's like, no, we're not having the baby. I'm like, golly. So he's super duper sick with maybe food poisoning, maybe flu, maybe something. So whenever he asked me to preach in less than 24 hours, um, I said, well, you can count on me. But on the inside, in my head, I was thinking, somebody better have a baby by the end of this day. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. So um, we are in a brand new series uh, here at Regen called Practicing the Way. Um, and this series I'm really excited about, and I think I'm really going to enjoy it because I always feel like it's very beneficial for there to be practical, and Pastor Kyle, he is such a practical teacher anyways, but to have practical teaching on just how to follow Jesus, um, especially for new Christians or people who are kind of on the fence about the whole Christianity thing. Um, you know, I, I do think that it, 
it's beneficial. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from a new Christian who says, like, all right, I just made this decision to follow Jesus. Now what do I do? Um, and so it's easy to say, like, join a circle, join a group, read your Bible, pray. Um, but also I think it's very nice just to kind of throw those soft pitches to people and just say, hey, this is one way to follow Jesus. I think the other reason I'm going to enjoy this is because for some of us here who have followed Jesus for like 10, 20, 30 more years, um, it should hopefully kind of... Uh, um, remove some of the dust from our memories of, of, you know, what it means to follow Jesus. Um, so I am really excited to be with your, you here. Um, I used to preach like once a month at the church that I came from, so I really, really miss it. And I always really love to be able to do this. It's good to get these things that are like stuck in your head um, out. So in my case, today's message, uh, if nothing else, thank you so much for being a sounding board. Um, so, um, and Happy New Year. Oh my gosh. It's an honor to be here with you for the very first Sunday of 2019. Um, Tis the season of paying off your Christmas debt and for your New Year's resolutions to last three weeks, um, as it is in my case, always, every time. So, Christian, now tell me if you do this. And at first, I was like kind of laughing about it, but it is kind of a uh, good practice. How many of you usually go into a new year with like a word in your head? Like this is going to, 2019 is going to be the year of, blah, you know, miracles or breakthrough or change or, and, does anybody in here do this? Okay, thank you. Uh, other church, not one person. So I was like, ugh. This is, um, maybe I'm a little off. But uh, yes, it is encouraging. It is a good practice to have. It gives you resolve, gives you something to look forward to, and it actually is like a really nice, good practice to see what God thinks, you know, to prayerfully consider what God thinks of this next year, what he has in store for you this next year. But normally, for me, my life is so hectic from the day to day that I literally never give it much thought um, from one year to the next like what I want to accomplish in the next year or what I think God wants to accomplish in the next year. Many times for me, December 31st is absolutely no different than January 1st. I don't know if that's any, like any of you, but, um, and really this is just the reflection of somebody who's a hot mess and is living day to day, sometimes moment to moment just to survive. And that would be Vanessa Hall. I will have you know I have three kids a six-year-old boy, a four-year-old boy, and an eight-month-old girl who was up all night puking last night. Guys, golly, her, Kyle, we all have the same thing. Not me, I don't have it. I will be serving communion later, so I don't have it. Um, uh, and these three children are the joy of my life, but they're also the source of my hot messness. And um, I'm a very different person than I was seven years ago. I think I used to be a lot more calm, cool, and collected. I yelled a lot less. Uh, I used to be a social butterfly who would stay up past 9.30. Um, and uh, I used to be much skinnier, much skinnier. And um, I didn't make man sounds when I got off the couch. So <laughs> I am not the same woman that I was seven years ago, and I completely blame my kids for that. So I have gone through about a seven-year season where thinking of another New Year's resolution was not on my radar, and it has 
been especially difficult for me to sit still long enough to um, hear if God had a special word for me for the next year or something he would like for me to pursue because to be honest, my New Year's resolution has always been to sleep more. And, um, but for some reason, and, I, and I'm kind of working it out, for some reason, the year of 2019, these past couple weeks, God has actually given me a word. And it's not something that I've prayed about. It's not something that I've actively pursued or asked God about. It's just something that he has brought to my attention. Um, and I think it's something that he wants to keep at my attention. Um, and that word is mercy. Imagine that. Um, so in a decade of many different ministering, preaching, teaching opportunities, I don't think I've preached on mercy one time in my life. And in fact, I don't think I've ever even done a real true in-depth study of mercy besides like, um, like what I had learned in ministry school. So today, um, this message is a little bit of preaching and teaching, but honestly, it's also me just working out why God would want me to know this word for 2019 um, and why he's bringing it to my attention. So hopefully by the end of this message, um, you know, we all will have grown a little bit, and if nothing else, turn our attention to God a little bit more. Um, so if you don't mind, I would love to uh, go ahead and pray. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to bring your word. Um, thank you for mercy, and uh, thank you for the things that you are going to um, speak in our lives, and um, the way that you're going to change us from the inside out. Um, Lord, hide me behind the shadow of your cross today, and when, um, when these words hit our heart, may we always know that you are a loving and compassionate and gracious and merciful God. Um, we love you and we bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Do we have? Oh, we do. Great. Okay. Um, so in order to know what mercy is, uh, we also must know what grace is. And it seems like every Christian song you hear, if you hear the word mercy, most of the time, within three seconds, you're going to hear the word grace too. Um, and that is because the two words are... They really go hand in hand. Um, both of them are dealt to us by God, and both of them are dealt to us coming from a very compassionate and affectionate place. Um, but they're not the same thing, and we do get them mixed up a lot. Uh, and a, what I think is a full, when we have a full understanding of what grace is and what mercy is, it can kind of take us to like a new level of thankfulness. Um, because when God pours his love out on us, when we know if it's coming from a place of grace or a place of mercy, I don't know, it, it just um, causes us to be more specifically thankful, if that makes any sense. But I think it's important. Um, so to explain the difference between the two, grace is when God freely gives you something that you do not deserve. When God freely gives you something that you do not deserve. Mer mercy is when God graciously withholds something from us that we do deserve. Grace is God blessing us despite the fact that we have done nothing to earn it. Mercy is not punishing us as our sins would deserve. Grace is extending kindness to the unworthy, and mercy is deliverance from judgment. 
So if we start to understand the difference, mercy is me not making my four-year-old scrub the carpet clean after he throws a tantrum and throws his juice, okay? On top of that, grace is me not only cleaning up the mess, but cleaning up his tears, wrapping a blanket around him, and giving him a new juice, okay? So it's hard to talk about one without bringing up the other, and that's because they both work so closely together. They are both so close to the heart of God. They're both huge parts of who God is and what his character is. Um, So today, though, I want to talk a little bit about mercy. Um, But because this is a series about practicing the way, we're going to first talk about God's mercy, but we're also going to go in-depth in how we have more opportunities than we think to show other people mercy. Um, So the first time we hear about God's mercy is in the Old Testament. It's in Exodus 33, and um, we're introduced to Moses, and in this story, he is asking God to show him his glory. By this time, Moses is a very frustrated individual. He had taken, long story short, the Israelites were under the bondage of slavery in Egypt. He had gotten the Israelites out of Egypt. They're in the desert. They're headed towards the promised land, out of slavery. And they've been traveling and traveling and traveling. And Moses has this issue with the Israelites because the Israelites had this really bad habit of following God one day and then walking away from him the next. Following him one day, walking away from him next. Worshiping God one day and then worshiping something shiny over here the next day. And so Moses was frustrated. He was tired. um, And he was constantly having to bring people back to God. Um, And so in this moment when he says, God, I just need you to show me your glory. Basically what he was saying is, I need to know if you're here with me. I need to know if you are walking this walk with me. I need to know that you're present. I need to know that you're understanding what I'm going through right now. Because, and I know that a lot of us have been through this moment where we're, we're in that same exact spot. God, where are you? Need to hear you. Need to see you. Need to see something. And so God, in his mercy, does choose to pass by Moses in his glory. And this is what God says about himself in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. A commentary, I think, is up here, goes on to explain this. God is not unjust. By no means will he clear the guilty and sweep sin under the rug. But the leading revelation of his glory is his mercy. The first and greatest truth for his people to know about him is that he is a God merciful and gracious. His grace and mercy shine as the apex of his glory. He is slow to anger. He will show wrath and justly so. It would be unloving to his people if he did not get angry when they were threatened and assaulted. And yet, even in such justice, he is slow to anger. Wrath is his righteous response to evil, but it is not his heart. Justice is the stem, mercy is the flower. Justice is the stem, mercy is the flower. So in serving this merciful God, we know that we are not exempt from the consequences of our actions. We are not exempt from the consequences of our own sins. 
the decisions we make today are going to have an impact and possibly a lasting impact on our tomorrow. The choices we make here on earth definitely always have an impact, but that is not the reaction or the reflection of a wrathful God, but a loving and merciful and gracious God who, again, is slow to anger and quick to mercy. Woodrow Kroll says, um, although we have no claim on God's mercies and although they are altogether undeserved, nonetheless, they never cease. We have done much to provoke God and give him cause to cut off his mercy on our behalf. We have abused his mercy, ignored his mercy, even at times ungratefully accepted his mercy. Still, while God's mercies may not always be visible, they are always present. The mercies of God may change their form as the morning light varies from the evening light, but the mercies of God will never cease to give their light. Even chastisement is mercy in disguise, and frequently, under the circumstances which make chastisement necessary, it proves to be more merciful than if God had not chastised us at all. So here we understand we are under the banner of God's mercy. We are under the banner of God's kindness, even in the midst of our own sinful nature, even in the midst of our own constant struggle to be more holy, and we know that we have experienced God's mercy more times than we could ever record or count. We have experienced his mercy to the degree that his word says that once confessed, he will throw our sins out into the sea of forgetfulness and he'll remember them no more. There, there's an old song by a, a group called Enter the Worship Circle. And uh, one of their lyrics says, I know all my broken places like the back of my hand that have slapped your face again. Wash me with your love and hold me tight till I have no memory of ever breaking your heart. This banner of mercy is it, it's the only reason we're able to make up, wake up in the morning and start new. <clears throat> every morning is the beginning of a new year because every morning his mercies are new. So understanding this relationship that we have with our Father, this relationship that says he will show us mercy even in the midst of us slapping his face, even in the midst of us returning to our old sin again and again, which the word says every time we nail him back up to that cross, if we know this relationship with him where he shows mercy even in the midst of all of that, how much more then should we show mercy to other people? And I love how Jesus uses present situations, present like in the moment situations to teach a lesson. And he does so in Luke 7, starting in verse 36. And I think it's up there. Oh, yeah. Super tiny. Great. Okay. <laughs> you just never know. I did the whole slideshow on my phone. So that'll tell you how much I can All right. Well, I'll read it to you. So uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down and eat, to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied, because he knew he was in trouble. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 
500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many. They've been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Those who are forgiven much, forgive much. Those who have been loved much, love much. Those people who have experienced a great deal of God's grace and mercy tend to show the most grace and mercy because they know where they've been. So you might be thinking to yourself, what does that have to do with me? It takes, how do I practice this way, knowing that we have a relationship or a, have a potential to have a relationship with God that is full of mercy? How do we live this life of mercy? Because you might say, well, Vanessa, I've never really been in the kind of situation where I've had to show somebody mercy. I've never, nobody's ever begged me for mercy. Nobody's life has ever depended on whether or not I show them mercy, like the movies. I've never really been in a situation where I needed to show that kind of mercy. But showing mercy is a lot more than just not killing somebody for doing something wrong. <laughs> okay. Showing mercy is a lot more than just not punishing somebody when you have the right to. Mercy is showing kindness, especially when it's undeserved. In Matthew 7, we are introduced to what is called the golden rule which I know all of you know what it is without even cracking open a Bible. So all together we're going to say it. What is the golden rule? Very good. Do unto others. That's kind of what I heard. But I think you guys knew what you were talking about. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. We learn this in kindergarten, guys, where all of the best and the greatest lessons of life are learned. In kindergarten. If you want to be treated nicely, you treat other people nicely. And this rule is practiced worldwide. Even entire cultures who have never heard the name Jesus practice this rule. And these cultures tend to be the most peaceful in the entire world. But... It's not unheard of. It is not singularly practiced by Christians alone. God has ingrained in us when he created us this need for peace and harmony and appreciation and respect and love and kindness. And so if you think about it, if everybody in the world followed the golden rule, there would be no more war, 
there would be peace on earth, every mouth would be fed, there'd be no more fear of crime. Why? Because nobody wants to starve, so they're gonna make sure that every mouth that they come in contact is fed. Nobody wants crime, so they make sure to treat everybody with the kindness and dignity and respect that they deserve. Nobody wants to conflict unto death, so there would be no more war. But that is not the world we live in right now, is it? It's far from it. War-riddled, ugly politics, third-world countries, crime rates are up, mass shootings. It is certainly not the kind of world that seems to be practicing the golden rule. And that is because the golden rule that the world follows is not the golden rule that we follow. What is um, interesting to note about the golden rule is that there are no other religions or philosophies that follow it the way that Jesus taught it. Even though it sounds like it, even though religious critics and people who would consider themselves to be moralists, they would say that it is the golden rule is a very common, widespread ethic that's shared by all religions. This is not the case. Jesus' command has a very subtle but very important difference, and I want to see if you can catch it. Jesus' golden rule, of course, says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But listen to how some Eastern religions would state this rule. Confucianism would say, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Hinduism says, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Buddhism would say, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Do we hear the difference? These sayings are similar to the golden rule, but they are stated negatively and they rely on being passive. Jesus' golden rule is a positive command to show love proactively. Eastern religion says, refrain from doing, and Jesus says, do. The Eastern religion says it's enough to hold on to your negative behavior. Hold it back, keep it in check. Jesus said to look for ways to act pos positively. Keep in mind that everything we know, everything the world knows, Jesus usually takes that concept, flips it on its head, and that's the way of Jesus. It's very different in the kingdom. So the world knows the golden rule as one thing, but Jesus, in the context of the kingdom, he knows it as something completely different. The major difference here is that Jesus is teaching us that it is not simply enough to just hold your negativity in check. It is not just enough to simply not hurt somebody. It is not enough to make sure that you refrain from causing people pain. To Jesus, that is not enough. He holds us to a higher standard than that. The main difference between Christianity and all of the other religions in the entire world is the command to proactively love, to not sit idle by while other people around you are hurting or are unable to defend themselves, but to proactively love, defend, show affection for, and redeem if it's in our power to do so. But what's happened in our world to cause the wars, the poverty, the crime, the hate, the racism, all of the ugly things that surround us in the news is that our culture lives by what is called the law of reciprocity. 
and I know it's a big word, but it has a very simple meaning. The law of reciprocity says that how you treat me is how I'm going to treat you. So if you are nice to me, I'll be nice to you back. But if you're mean to me, I'll be mean to you back. And the issue with this way of thinking is that it puts us in the role of God. And you say, well, how, how does that, what does that even mean? What we're saying when, when we say how you treat me is how I'm going to treat you back is it puts us in the role where we are saying that we have the power and authority to know how a person is to be treated. We are deliverers of justice. We are in control. We decide how a person is supposed to be treated. So when we feel justified in being mean to somebody who has been mean to us, we are taking matters into our own hands. We are not allowing God to be God. And we are playing his role because we believe that justice would have us to treat people in the same way that they treated us first. This is the kind of treatment that they deserve. But this is not mercy. Mercy has nothing to do with what people deserve. And I will say that again because I need to remind myself of that. Justice, mercy, has nothing to do with what people deserve. Mercy has everything to do with love. And the issue with treating people the way that they treated you first is that's not even how Jesus acted. That is not even the way that Jesus treated people. Even in the midst, he was the prime example of mercy, even unto the cross. As the sinless, spotless lamb that he was, the man who was condemned to death, the man who died a criminal's death, even in the midst of being beaten and abused and mocked and tortured and spit upon and ridiculed, he practiced kindness. Even when he was on the cross, next to a thief and a murderer, he expressed mercy and treated that man with kindness and compassion and ultimately redemption. And even with his dying breaths, Jesus breathed mercy. Because mercy and grace, at their core, are all about redemption. When he had every right in the world and every bit of power in the world to call forth all of the angels and completely annihilate everybody who had sentenced him to death. He showed mercy. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I know that most of us have not and probably will never walk the road that Jesus walked. But if Jesus, in the midst of the loneliest and darkest moments of his entire life, could continue to show mercy to the people who hated him unto death, then surely there are some parts in our lives where we could show a little bit of mercy too. So to redefine it for us, mercy would be considered not doing to somebody what we think they deserve. I'm a huge fan of what my husband would call train wreck TV. <laughs> And if you don't know what that is, Trainwreck TV is the different types of shows that show different kinds of real-life hot messes. And um, that would include Hoarders and Intervention and My 600-Pound Life. And I could, I could binge-watch these, these shows 
all day, not feel bad about it, and never get tired of it. And I think one of the reasons why these shows are so successful, and I think one of the reasons why I like them so much, is because it makes me feel like I'm just not that much of a hot mess. Like, even at the core of this, if I can just watch these shows enough and see their bad situations enough, I can feel a little bit better about my own situation. And, and, and the reason why we find ourselves so enamored by shows like this is because probably at the root of who we are, we are insecure with something in our lives. And seeing other people that are so deeply disturbed by the things that have a little grip in our life makes us feel a little bit better about our situation. We do this thing where we look at the train wrecks on TV and we justify what's happening in our own lives and we tell ourselves that as long as we don't get to that point, then we're doing a lot better than we think we are. But it's a false sense of security. I may have an unhealthy relationship with food, but at least I'm not 620 pounds like that guy. I may dabble here and there with recreational drug use, but at least I'm not selling my body for heroin like that girl is on intervention. I may have some coping issues and codependency issues, oh, but at least I'm not like that family on Hoarders whose house is completely full from top to bottom with useless garbage and most of the time dead animals. <laughs> I'm still gonna watch these shows. Because even now, it's making me feel better. Okay. So if you think about it, we do the same thing every single day when we find the urge to talk about somebody else and the issues that they're experiencing. Because the more that we can communicate how messed up they are, the less we feel so messed up about our own life. Did you hear that Sally cheated on her husband? I can't even believe it after all he's done for her. How are they gonna explain this to the kids? Did you hear that John left rehab for the fourth time? When is enough gonna be enough? When is he gonna realize that all of the problems that he has in his life is because of that addiction? Did you hear that Amanda is going back to that same abusive jerk for the fourth time? I can't even feel bad for her anymore. She's had so many opportunities to leave him. And on and on it goes. This constant spilling of information from one person to another. And in the midst of it all, all that we are doing is puffing ourselves up with pride that we are not quite as messed up as that person. And I am that person, guys, 100%. I'm the person who finds it so easy to slip in those little stories here and there about another person because of my own insecurities. And something that the Lord is communicating with me over and over and over again is mercy. Mercy is not giving somebody a punishment that they may or may not rightfully deserve. In our own minds, though, what we say is bad decisions warrant bad reputations. They did it to themselves. You made your bed, now you lie in it. You cheated on your husband, so you should not be surprised when everybody around you is tisk-tisking about your bad decisions. You chose to do that drug one more time, so don't be surprised when your family and friends are leaving you because they can't handle your, your addiction anymore. 
For whatever reason, you've decided to go back to that abusive jerk. So don't be surprised when we stop talking to you because obviously you're not listening to us anyways. So we play the role of God by sentencing the people around us to punishment because it's obviously what they deserve. But then God reminds me, there, but for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go I. God reminds me, time and time again, that if it was not for his grace, I could be any one of those people. I could be in any one of their shoes. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I could be an addict. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I could have cheated on and left my husband years ago. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I could find myself doing things and living a life in a much different place. And I know myself well enough to realize that I am just one or two bad decisions away from living that life. We all are. towards a life of destruction, a life that is far away from Jesus. On every one of those TV shows that you watch, you hear the person say, I don't know how it got so bad. I don't know how I got here. It's like I woke up one day, and here I was in this mess of a life. There but for the grace of God go I. Any one of us could be in their shoes today. And I think a lot of what the Lord is showing me is that I sentence a lot of people to punishment through the way that I talk about them. There, there's a term out there called mommy shaming, where basically anything you do as a mother is wrong. <laughs> so it's, it's the difference between, you know, bottle feeding and breastfeeding. It's the difference between co-sleeping or a baby being in the crib. It's the difference between um, baby wearing and letting them be their own person. You know, like, it's, it never ends. Everywhere you look, no matter what decision you make as a mother, you're probably wrong. And I, I've kind of been on this kick lately of like, can we just stop this? Can we please just stop this? I, I'll tell you what. Vanessa has frequent flyer mi miles to crazy town, okay? <laughs> and I never thought that I would be the kind of mom that I am. I always thought that I'd be like, I don't even know, just maybe better, you know. And <laughs> But listen, having three kids has proved to be very difficult for me. I've been told all the time, like, okay, so like from one to two, that's pretty hard, you know, that's, that's a big adjustment. Two to three, you're like golden. It's like just, you just keep adding them then because they don't. And I have this amazing husband who works 60-hour weeks and he works midnights. So I, we never see each other. We see each other for maybe, maybe an hour in the morning, but that's it. And so being, you know, a f mom with a full-time, almost full-time job and, it can be difficult. 
it's incredibly lonely. And one of the things that I expressed to my husband was, I have never felt more weak as a mother than I do right now. Like, just when you think you have things all together, like I, something explodes. <clears throat> and I think something that we need to realize is that Here's what I've realized, and this has kind of sent me on this journey of mercy, and people would probably consider me crazy. <laughs> you see me in public, you probably think I'm crazy. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've walked in these doors with my three kids and wanted to walk right back out those doors. And it, because it's tough. Guys, life is tough. Being a parent is tough. Being anybody is really, really tough. And I would hate it if somebody had to defend me to somebody else because I wasn't there to defend myself. Like, that Vanessa, she's freaking crazy. You know what I mean? Like, because I probably am, you guys. And, but that's okay. Like, here's the thing. When we talk about somebody else, the way that we like talk about each other, and they are not there to defend themselves, we're just changing other people's perception of them without maybe even knowing the whole story. People are crazy because a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and an eight-month-old make them crazy. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it comes down to. We cannot judge what we don't understand. We cannot judge the places that we have never been. If I have not had a conversation with somebody specifically about why they are the way they are and why they do the things that they do, then I have no right, even if I consider it to be correct, to ever sentence them to the punishment by bad reputation or gossip or slander. Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. So three quick, very quick, and practical ways to show mercy in your everyday life. Number one, forgive quickly. Life is way too short to keep people on a short leash of unforgiveness, when you probably have made the same mistake 100 times. Number two, defend those who cannot defend themselves. Speak up for those people and stand up for them, especially people who are in the midst of really intense life struggle. And three, do not be the kind of person who uses the failures of other, other people to feel good about yourself. If you are insecure about an area of your life, work that out with God. Get help. Talk to somebody. But do not use somebody who's down on their luck as a stepping stool for you to feel better about yourself. And I am so talking to myself right now. I don't even care if you guys aren't listening to me. Like, this is, this is what I needed to hear. This is, that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way to mercy. And so with mercy, it goes so far beyond simply not punishing people who deserve to be punished. It's showing kindness to people who the world would deem unworthy of kindness. And who are we to ever say who deserves kindness and who doesn't? If God could show a wretch like me kindness and compassion and affection, who are we to ever treat anybody less than that? 
if Jesus could show his enemies forgiveness, even while they and we were yet sinners, even unto the cross and to his death, who are we to ever withhold his love and compassion? And if God delights in showing mercy, then we have the peop- as the people of God should do the same. We should delight in defending those who cannot defend themselves. We should be secure enough in our own lives to not join in the bashing and tearing down of other people. And we should not delight in the failures of others because we are just one or two bad decisions away from being in the same place. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your mercy and along with that for your grace. For not only not punishing us when we really, really deserve it, but then also going that extra mile and extending your grace. Father, thank you. We, it's not anything that we could ever repay, but it is something that we can show and it's something that we can express to the people that you love so very much. So Father, teach us what it means to go after the least, the last, and the lost. Not with snide remarks, not with gossip, but with love. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. May it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path every single day of our lives. We love you and we bless you. Amen. So ultimately, when we talk about the mercy of God, there is nothing more merciful that Jesus ever did for us than die for us on a cross. And it's a pretty high standard to hold ourselves up to is the cross. Um, but I think in, in all of this, you know, even when thinking about myself as a mother and feeling weak and things like that, you know, you hear people say all the time, you're doing better than you think you are. You know what I mean? And that's always really nice to hear. But I think what Jesus says especially when it comes to his death, is you're, you're not doing better than you think you are, but I've redeemed that. And I've redeemed that through the cross. And so when we take communion, it's for me, it's this daily, weekly reminder that you can start over again tomorrow because my, nurse, my mercy is new tomorrow. My mercy is new for you every single day. And so let this be kind of that moment in your life where you say, Okay, I have new mercy tomorrow. I have new mercy today. His mercies are new every single day. And so the day, the night that Jesus was betrayed, let me do this first so I don't infect. No, I'm not infected. (laughs) On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and he took bread and he broke that bread in front of them and he said this is my body which is broken for you and he took the cup 
and he held it before them and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. May it always be a reminder of the mercy that he has over and over and over again expressed to us, to me. And not from a place of wrath and judgment, but from a place of affection and kindness because that's the kind of God that we serve. So the way that communion works is I'll call some people up here. Uh, you'll come forward. They will uh, rip a piece of bread for you, and you can go ahead and dip it in the cup. As we always say, um, one, if you have a pulse, you are welcome at this table. And two, if you drop your bread in the cup, you don't have to go fishing for it. We'll give you another piece. <laughs> So if I could do what Kyle does and just have uh, three people just hop on up and who feel like they want to serve communion today. Thank you, Zach. Anybody else? Thank you. Oh, oh. And one more. Uh, yeah. All right, sweet. Okay. All right. We do have gluten-free, too, so if you need gluten-free, we have that for you. Um, but God, thank you so much for your gift of communion. May this be a reminder of your presence here with us and within us and always, always, always beside us. May this be a reminder of your mercy and your grace every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The table is open. My prayer for you this week and in the days to come and maybe even in 2019 is that you would fully understand the mercy that God has for you and that in return, even though we could never repay him for all of the mercy that he shows us, that we in turn would be able to show others mercy and to just love them the way that God loves us. So uh, we'll see you next week, and I hope you have a really good week.